talking about Nehemiah, I, I know we spent now a few weeks putting Nehemiah into a historical context. Nehemiah, and there's a little bit of an introduction in the handout there that for those of you who may have no knowledge of Nehemiah or haven't been here in the past month. But again, Nehemiah, his life is recorded in the Older Testament, a, a piece of it in the book of Nehemiah, about 450 years before Christ's birth, uh, this takes place. He had it in his heart to build a wall for his people in Jerusalem, although he was living in Persia. The city of Jerusalem, if you remember, had been brought to a point of rubble. Their gates had been burned. Nehemiah has a deep yearning to want to see his people helped because a city without walls was essentially continually vulnerable to being plundered. And it could never have a sense of, of building assets or health. So it was sitting in his heart. We talked a lot about that. Let's just jump in now, though, to the second chapter of Nehemiah. But the, the verses I would like us to look at together, and we'll just move through them uh, fairly rapidly. It says that it came to pass in the month of Nisan. Now, that is the Hebrew month that corresponds to our month of March, April, some piece of March, some piece of April. If you remember, again, those of us who were here, the, it opens up the book, the conversation that affects Nehemiah's life occurs in the Hebrew month of Chislev, which was sort of November, December. Why is that important? Because it tells us that there's about four months, three to four month gap between when he initially started to really pray about responding to this need that just gripped his heart to see his people have a, a place of health and life and the walls rebuilt, that was a burden. When he hears about how disgraced their situation was, he wants to respond, but he's stuck. He's serving in the court of the king of Persia. He's going to need a miracle by God to open up a door for him to be able to respond. And we know that this is about a four-month period between when he first starts hearing the news to this moment where the door swings open. Let's look at it together. It says it was the, you know, the, the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, he says, when wine was before him, and again, Nehemiah was a cupbearer. Nobody, this, uh, this occupation doesn't exist anymore. Uh, but a cupbearer was a, uh, someone who was actually essential to the king um, because there was continual plots on the life of a king, and a cupbearer was responsible for tasting the king's wine most of the time, or any beverage that was taken to make sure that it wasn't poisoned. And we talked about how that job had a bit of a downside to it as well. And, <laughs> and having said that, it was also a you know, privileged position. And it says that uh, when the wine was before him, that I took the wine, Nehemiah's writing now, and he says, and I gave it to the king, like I normally do. And I had never, he puts this phrase in there. He says, you know, never in my entire time of service had I ever been anything resembling what I was in this moment because I had never been sad in his presence. I had never allowed whatever was going on in my own life to show up in my outer countenance. He says, I was very careful never to be sad. In fact, you get the impression it was an unwritten rule in the court. Never be sad in the presence of the king. Um, because if the king was in a bad mood, uh, your life could end very rapidly, right? So the rule of thumb was never be sad in the king's presence. Nehemiah understood that. What happens, though, is he can't help himself because he's feeling just this, again, it's been four months now. He can't, this thing is, is nothing seems to be happening. He's very discouraged, it would appear, about what's going on 
Uh, the situation that he hears probably news about is not getting any better. Nothing seems to be happening on his end. He's sad. He's feeling the weight of a burden that won't let him go. And it says here that when the king notices it, he says, therefore, the king said to me, why is your face sad? Why do you look so sad? What's wrong with you? Since clearly you're not sick, so, you know, physically, so there's, then he says, this, the, 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 I know what this is. There's something going on inside of you. He says, this is nothing less than sorrow of the heart. In other words, there's something inside of you that you're not sharing with me that's really bothering you, and I can read you. Now, Nehemiah says, in that moment, I became dreadfully afraid, right? It wasn't like I just got afraid. I got dreadfully terrified afraid because now he's scared. He's scared that, that he doesn't know what the king is going to do. And he, he'd become apparent that whatever's been going on inside of Nehemiah is now showing up and the king is noticing it. And we're told here that um, he does what every wise servant of the king would do in that moment. Long live the king, right? The king is great. Long live the king, you know? And, and he, this is what he literally says. And may the king live forever. And, and, and then he says, uh, after he says that, he then says, but I, I, I need to be honest with you that um, I, there is something going on. Why should my face not be sad, he says, when the city, the, the city of my ancestors, the, Jerusalem, the place where my fathers are, are, are buried, where their tombs lay, it lies in, it lies in waste, O king, and, and, and its gates are burned with fire. The city's just an absolute disaster. Uh, the, the, the walls that would be normally um, had been erected to protect it have never been restored. The people who've gone back there, they're in great distress. The gates, they've been burned. There's nothing there. It's a pitiful sight. Um, it's, just, it's just something that I, I, I'm really struggling with the plight of my people. And uh, then the king said to me, well, what do, you, what do you want to do about it? What do you request? And now you got to understand what a critical moment this was. Everything that Nehemiah had been praying for was now right now on the board. It's like the moment. There are these moments when we've been waiting for something and waiting for something and waiting for something and praying for something, believing for something, then all of a sudden, now, it's there. What do we do? Nehemiah does, he says, he says, well, he says, so I prayed to the God of heaven, a short, quick prayer. And he says, and then I said to the king, well, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, then what I, what I need you to do is I need you to, to send me to Judah. I need you to let me go back to head, head west to go back and to go back to, to, Judea, to Judah and where Jerusalem is. And I need you to let me return. I need you to release me from my job. Send me out. And then he says this, uh, the king, and he goes, that I may, you know, that I may also, if I found favor, go back to the city of my father's tombs. I need to rebuild the wall. I need to rebuild the city. That's what I want to do. I want to go back. I need you to let me leave work. And I need you to send me back. Let me go back to the land of my fathers, back to Jerusalem. And then I need to be able to engage a building project. That's what I need. And the king said to me, and he, Nehemiah points out, and the queen was also sitting beside him. Well, how long, how long will that journey take? And how long are you thinking you're going to need to be gone? And how long is it going to be? And, and when are you going to return? And, and, and so... It, Nehemiah says, I gave him a time, and, and, it, and it pleased the king to, to send me. He agreed to let me go after I told him the clear sense of how long it was going to take. 
And um, then he says, and then I did, I did a little bit more. He says, furthermore, um, since the momentum was with me, right? Uh, I said to the king, oh, king, one more thing, right? Um, if it pleases the king, you know, if, 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 since you seem willing to let me go and, and you've agreed to that, would, would you be able to also do me a, a couple other thing, favors real quick? Would you be able to give me some letters? I need, I need some um, evidence of your authority behind me because I'm going to be going along... Uh, I'm going to cross the Euphrates. I'm going to be going into different provinces, as you know, where the governors are. And I'm going to be carrying a lar lar large amount of supplies. And I'm going to need to have something that demonstrates that, that I have some degree of authority. Otherwise, they're not going to let me pass. Would you be willing to give me letters that um, designate that I have the authority to cross through to get to where I need to go? And then he says, oh, and, 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 and just one more thing as well, right? Um, I'm going to need another letter since you asked me what I might need here, um, I'm going to also need a letter that essentially says that I am released to have uh, all the supplies that I need to rebuild this project. In fact, I'm going to need a letter specifically addressed to the keeper of the king's forest, a man named Asaph. And I'm going to need you to basically let him um, know that, it, that I have the freedom to, wow, and boy. And then I think the king's going, is there anything else you want, you know? <laughs> Um, and he says, and, and yeah, I need to get enough supplies that I can, I can make beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertains to the temple and the city wall. And then I also need to, to build some type of a house for myself while I'm there. Oh, okay. And you know what the Bible says? It says, in Nehemiah writes, the king granted them to me according to the good hand of God that was upon me. And I love that. The old version says, the hand of the Lord that was with me, right? This idea of... God's hand was with us. Oh, that the Lord's hand would be with us at moments in our lives, that the God's good hand would be with you. And Nehemiah recognizes that it was God who was in this. But, and it's clear that one of the things that he had been doing is he had been thinking about what he was going to need, both in terms of his timelines and the supplies and the letters of authority. There was a lot of thought that had gone into this. When Nehemiah is asked, he is able to be very specific about what he needs and that's a very important detail, which we'll talk a little bit more in a moment about. Let me just kind of uh, take this passage, though, and have us work it through a little bit. There is a, uh, some questions that I'd like to pose. And one of them has to do with the whole idea of, of when we find ourselves in a situation that Nehemiah find, found himself in, which is what I'm going to call the waiting place. And so the question is this. How good are we? And these are just simple questions that are designed to get us to think more deeply. So I'm just putting really simple handles that allow us to pull, pull the principle out and sit with it. But how good are we at the waiting places? Because I want to suggest that in the waiting places is a lot of times where we get ourselves into trouble. The waiting places are these places where it's not always easy. And um, a lot of times, uh, you know, we, we're not sure how long something is going to be while we're waiting. And uh, there are certain challenges that are there. Maybe some of us right now are waiting for something. We may, we may have a feeling that God has put something in our heart that we are to believe for. Or maybe there's a situation that we've been praying and asking God to help us with. And we're needing it to come to some type of a, of a you know, we have a hopeful expectation. And we're praying for this. But now we're in the middle of this waiting period. Nehemiah, think about it. How many months was it? Was that four-month period? between when he first started really desiring to see God do something and when it actually opens up. 
Now, I was reminded of a great verse in Hebrews. Hebrews, a New Testament book. Uh, the writer says this. He says, for you have need of endurance. The older version says patience, that after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. There are some of us that what the Lord is requiring of us is to have a degree of patience and endurance. You know, when you think of the term like endurance up there, endurance means, you know, for me, it has to do with like a, a runner. When we're running, a lot of times, you know, that, that, that or we're on a journey, the idea of pacing ourselves, it's not a sprint. Um, sprints, you know, it, that's a different type of a race. But uh, a long haul run, and since we don't always know how long a wait is going to be, endurance is a factor that after we have endured, a lot of times it's just learning how to pace ourselves because everything in us is, is sometimes going to be challenged around this. And I was thinking in the places where we're waiting, there are probably, I'll call them, two significant challenges in the waiting places. And again, just using a very easy handle for us to think about them. But in these waiting places of life, like Nehemiah was in, it's important that we, number one, do not give up. And I look at what Nehemiah does here, and he is an example of someone who refuses to, to quit. And I think it's always a temptation when we find ourselves waiting and waiting and waiting to just sort of start getting discouraged. And discouragement, and maybe he was struggling a little bit with discouragement. Maybe that's what the king was reading in him. But I'm telling you, something about hope deferred. You know, we're thinking it's going to happen. We're believing it's going to happen. We're excited about the possibility. And yet it just seems like nothing's happening. And the door isn't opening. And it's like, and then that, that's bad enough when the door doesn't open. But then you, and sometimes we get disappointing news. And it, instead of actually it, things getting better, it starts to look like it's actually getting worse. And in those places, you know, sometimes I've, I've, I've thought about this a lot. Sometimes here we're really trying. We're really trying. We're holding on. We're believing. We're embracing something. We're trying to keep a really good attitude. Um, our, our, we're, not, we're trying to not allow certain situations to dictate our, our attitude and our behavior. And we're trying not to get sour or negative or discouraged or lose hope. And yet, sometimes, you know, it's not even the big thing that happens that discourages. Sometimes it's just a little conversation with someone. And it may not even been their intention. But indirectly, it really takes the wind out of us. Um, and it, it just discourages us. You know, there are some times where certain pieces of news just like, bam, it's like hits us right there. And, and my wind comes out of me, and I can barely, it's like we stagger under the blow. And, and it's hard, and it's hard to explain it. Sometimes it's a big thing, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just like a, a setback or something we, we fell back into that we thought we had gotten past that, and now it's back again. And it's discouraging. Or maybe there was something that looked like it was going to turn in our direction that we were praying for and hoping for. And it's like, oh, yeah, it's starting to work. And then all of a sudden it just dissipates on us or crumbles right like sand through our fingers. And it's like it's nothing. It was a mirage. It didn't mean anything. And it's just, and now i got to go back and wait again and i got to keep at this. i got to keep moving forward. i got to keep my attitude right. I'm telling you, in that situation, you know what I found? It's very easy to do. What we, it's one of the reasons why we had that, the song that we shared as a lead in here is in those places, a lot of times it's like we just want to give up and build a wall around ourselves. So, you know, I'm not going to even believe it. I'm just going to protect myself. Why should I let myself be hurt again? I'm just going to, like, be able to say, I'm going to keep it safe, right? 
And so I'm not going to risk. I'm not going to, I'm going to just get, I quit. I give up. Go, you know what? And Nehemiah, I mean, I'm telling you, in those places, it's really easy to do that. There, and there are some times where, okay, I, and I need to say this too. There are times where God, when, when really the Lord is asking us to pull back from something and to reevaluate. I need to at least acknowledge that. That it's not always just have faith. That there are times where, you know, we need to maybe be flexible. We need to have a nimble faith that is capable of sometimes of pulling back and reassessing things and saying, you know, Lord, I think I'm hearing you correctly here, but I'm not sure. You know, Lord, is this stubbornness and pride on my part and sort of me dictating the terms to you? Or is this something that you have for me to move into and to pray into and to believe for? And, and, and how we answer that question is critical. Because, and I'm, and I'm going to say this, it's not a one-size formulaic answer. Because I've had people say to me, well, how do I know? How do I know if, if it's like I'm something I'm supposed to just kind of let go of and, re, and let God redirect, Right? Or something that I need to just be tenacious about and, and stay with no matter what. And I'm going to say it's not always easy to know that answer. That sometimes it involves wrestling with God around things. Sometimes it involves just, you know, I think sometimes a clue is what's still inside of our heart after the disappointment. Is it still there? And then sometimes I think it's helpful to run this by people who've proven themselves to be, to be not only those who, who seek also the wisdom of God in their lives, but who are trustworthy enough to, to give an honest exchange with. The value of relational investment is that it helps us in these transition waiting places of life. Certainly, we all will need that at times to be able to run things off of other people. Here's what I feel like God's saying, but do you think possibly I'm, I'm not hearing this correctly? You think maybe I'm praying in, in a wrong direction? You don't think for a moment that Nehemiah, during those four months, did not have some doubt in his mind that maybe he had just kind of, you know, gotten all worked up emotionally, but maybe God really wasn't in this and that wasn't God's plan. And maybe it's just like, you know, maybe I'm misreading this whole thing. And, and I'm going to suggest that there are times where, here's the irony, when we actually, we, there are times we may quit prematurely on something. When the answer, if we could see it from the perspective of heaven, that we're actually not that far away. That fine line in that waiting place when everything in us wants to just like throw in the towel. But trusting God there, when we sense that we're still supposed to maintain that stance, very critical place. Nehemiah really models for us what that type of, of, of faith looks like and just, just the way in which he positioned himself. Listen, faith positions itself for the opportunity that may never come, but we believe it will. And that preparation is in and of itself a growth point. Now, remember I said there were two areas? The first one, if we can call it the give up in the waiting places, that's clear. There's always that temptation. The second one, though, is the trip up. And it's what I call the trip up. And what I mean by that is it's when we, instead of, it's not like we're quitting. If anything, it's the opposite. It's, we're getting impatient in the waiting, and so we decide we're going to go help God out, right? <laughs> so we're going to make his kingdom come. We're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to sort of create scenarios to help him along because we're not getting the... What I'm saying is that Nehemiah does not prematurely... He's a really wonderful example for us of how to wisely wait 
in a situation. He doesn't, he doesn't quit. He doesn't give up. He keeps cultivating his burden in his heart. One of the things we talked about is he prays, and, he, and, and you know what we pray into keeps alive in us, right? Not only does it have an effect, but it also keep, affects it's us internally. When we pray into something, it keeps it burning in us. Fasting, he, fa- he, he restrained himself in eating, kept his focus. But even he, you could sense, is wavering in his kind of discouragement. The sadness that is on him is connected to the delay in what he can't do, and he wants to do it, and he can't do it. But when it happens, though, you know, we are reminded that what he also didn't do was he didn't just go prematurely jump in there impetuously and start being reckless when the time wasn't right. It's interesting that he waits for the door to open. Wow. Now, just because a door opens doesn't mean we're supposed to step into it, but, but there are times where we will try to force open a door. It's like we're forcing it open, and God's saying, you know what? You need to let this go. It, when it's time, it'll open. And then the, the question will be something way different. In that moment, the question is going to be, be not afraid, and do we have courage to step into it? Now, the tripping up part is there's a pattern in the Bible of people, and I think it's encouraged. Personally, I find encouragement out of it. Think about some of the greatest people in the Bible, Moses, Peter, Sarah. I'm thinking of these figures in the Bible. Some of, many of them tried to, to, to just, they were impetuous. They, they got impatient. Um, examples of that. I was, again, I was thinking about Moses and how in his haste and his anger, he allowed his passion to overflow, right? When he sees the, the, the taskmaster, the Egyptian taskmaster beating um, mercilessly the, the Hebrew slave and while he himself is a prince in Egypt. He sees that happening and it finally just builds up and he retaliates it with recklessness and he goes and he, he, didn't just, he, he doesn't just rescue the, the one, he slays. The Bible says in his zeal, his anger, he slays the Egyptian. He killed him. And as a result, he had to run for his life as a fugitive. And he, sets, and he ends up waiting 40 years in the wilderness before God allows him to return back. We think about Peter, Simon Peter. Think about him. Same thing. Very interesting, isn't it? The New Testament character. When he sees the thugs coming for Jesus in the garden, what is his reaction? He pulls out his sword and he swings. And when he swings, he's not just swinging as a show. He's swinging to defend, because he had told Jesus, no matter what happens, I'm willing to die with you. And he was at that moment. Later on, later on, however, uh, we know he has a different challenge and he fails miserably. But in that moment, Jesus says, what are you doing? Put the sword away. Don't you understand? And it's like later on, Jesus, Pilate would say, do you not know to Jesus that I have the authority to release you or to have you? But Jesus said in one of those rare moments that we have recorded, Jesus says, he didn't speak a lot to the people who were putting him to death. But he said this to Pilate. He says, you have no authority, save it be given you from above. It was like Jesus was saying to Peter and to Pilate and all, at any moment I could call, do you not know I could call down? This is not a matter of needing you to defend me, Simon. You know what's interesting? Both Peter and, and Moses, later on, at the, as they grew in maturity, would later be known, ironically, not for their emotive, physical reactions, impulsiveness, recklessness, but later on, after God worked in their lives, you know what they ended up being noted for? Moses is, ends up being noted for his meekness of countenance. His meek, he was a meek man. He becomes a meek man. 
not an assertive one. He's, he, and Peter later on will write to those who are beginning to follow Jesus. This is what I would encourage you to do. Clothe yourself in humility. Very interesting. The, the two things that, they, both, in both their cases, what was their weaknesses, it ends up, God ends up turning around and, and, and makes it a, actually a strength. It's a testimony to all of us that some of us might have some real issues. You know what? God can actually do amazing things in our weakest areas of our lives, and they become testimonies of the grace of God at work in our lives, sometimes for generations of people to be affected by. But that temptation of either giving up or tripping up in the waiting place is very real. One of the things that was challenging is that some of us, we may find ourselves in a waiting space. For Nehemiah, it was, uh, what, four months? Some of us, it might be four hours, might be four days, might be you know, four weeks, might be four years or longer. How do we do in the waiting places? Can we keep our burden alive in our hearts? If God's asked us to hold on to it, we feel that. You know, here's the thing. One of the things I realized is usually connected to prayer, to holding that vision. And, remind, and that reminds me of the second piece here, which is this. It's, it's, it's a second question, but it's, a, it's actually simple, but it's, I loved it because it has to do with this whole idea is how good are we at praying short prayers? And the reason I bring that up is because I'm looking at what happens to Nehemiah in that moment when everything is on the line. Now it's, he is on the line. It is right. The moment has come. And Nehemiah has to like go, oh my goodness. The stakes are so high that everything that I've been waiting for is now right here. Do or die. Step up. This is the time to speak up. What do you want me to do, Nehemiah? Tell me your request. And, I, and what does Nehemiah say he does? I prayed to the God of heaven. And guess what? He didn't go like, Oh, king, let me pray right now, you know. Oh, God of heaven. You know what he did? He prayed. It's a reminder. What he prays is he prays inside of him. I love this. He goes just, I, I think it was something like this. God, just I pray right now that you help me. I ask for your presence to be with me. Lord, show up in this moment. God, I've been waiting a while. You know, just simple prayers. We will find ourselves in situations, maybe even this week, where we're going to be like, what do, this, what do you think? Or what's your answer? Or what, how are we going to react? Or what is our response going to be? There might be times when we feel under a tremendous amount of pressure. The weight of it is, we say, but you know what I'm going to suggest? In these places, there are times where I just say, Lord, when I'm afraid of something, Lord, just fill me with your, give me, give me courage, God. Strengthen my good hand. Lord, remind me of who you are. Lord, I ask you to just be with me. Or I'll speak a word of blessing. Lord, I pray you cover her. Protect her. Short prayers. Lord, bless them all. Simple prayers into a conversation that I'm not sure how it's going to go. Lord, I ask you into this conversation. Simple, short, real. doesn't have to be always a long, eloquent prayer or just long. It could be, <laughs> it could, it could also be something that's very short but meaningful. Nehemiah, it's, it's one of those rare examples in the Bible where you see someone essentially saying, and I pray to the God of heaven, like I said, Lord, right now I need you to help me. See, this is, some of us just need to be okay with welcoming God into the most seeming like small spaces where between when the question is asked and the response needs to be given, I've got this real sliver 
to where I can say, Lord, I welcome you right now into this situation. I may not say it out loud. I say it right inside. Lord, I welcome you in. Lord, show up here. See that? If we sense something is starting to de-escalate, de- uh, de- we might say, God, help me. Help me to, to not make this thing worse. I'm sensing this coming up inside of me. See, that self-correction of welcoming the Lord. I'm, I'm being enormously pragmatic. This is a very practical, real principle. It's modeled by Nehemiah. It's so good. You know what it does? It starts to allow us to incorporate the Lord into the everydayness of our life so that wherever we go, wherever we're at, God is with us. And we can talk with him, and we can share our heart with him, and we can welcome him in. And it's not odd. It's very natural for us inside to do it. It's the way we live. It's the way we share our heart with God. And you know what happens? God often shows up in amazing ways. But here's the last question. Nehemiah not only modeled praying short prayers, but he also did this as well. And here's the question. How prepared are we when God swings the door open? Because clearly one thing was happening here. Nehemiah was doing a whole lot more than just uh, praying, right? Um, and he, he, was, he was actually waiting with thoughtfulness. And I want to suggest that our faith, and it is a faith, is not a thoughtless faith, nor should it be a superstitious faith. But there is a model here. When he is asked the questions, this is a man who has thought in detail about what he's going to need. It's not like he says, you know, King, I wasn't expecting anything to happen here. So now that you're asking me the question, you know, I'm going to need a little bit more time to think about what it is exactly I need. Because I really can't answer that question. You know, you want to know the time frames. I can't give you time frames. <laughs> it's like, come on. Now, th- you, know, you know what? He knew exactly. I need to know. He knew how long he was going to be gone. He knew what supplies he needed. He knew, he knew what letters of authority he needed. He knew the travel path that he was going to take. He had plotted out. He, all of the things that he did in detail for preparation was in and of itself an expression of faith. Because there was no guarantee that it was even going to happen. But he was believing that the God who had put it in his heart was also going to be the one who was going to miraculously open up a door for him. And when that door opened, he was going to step into it, not as one who was kind of oblivious to the reality of what he was facing, but as someone who had taken it very seriously, who had thought, who had considered, who had reflected, who had made the best decisions he knew possible. It wasn't, so it's not just praying and, and not planning, and nor is it just planning and not praying. It's both. It's welcoming God in. It's also being thoughtful about what we're actually going to do when God opens this up for us. And again, it, it's a reminder that it's more important. And I, I'll close with this final little, that little quote there that's on the top of the handout there. It's more important to know where you're going than to get there quickly. Do not mistake activity for achievement. We can do a whole lot of flailing around and go nowhere. It's about hearing what God wants to say to us and pursuing a purposeful path. Not giving up, not tripping up, not, not quitting or getting impatient and then reckless, listen, recklessness, but trusting God and preparing. And even being open, listen, to the possibility that he has a redirect. That's okay too. God can redirect. 
His ways are good ways. And you say, well, I need to know exactly how this works. Well, it's not science, it's art. It's, in this case, there are basic principles of the scripture that are black and white, but there's a whole lot of things that are, we are called to wrestle with, and they have nuance, and there are areas of, that we're supposed to discover things in our own heart. We're growing in our faith. It's things about exploring who God is. It's an adventure, a journey. It's a way of life that is not meant to ever be completely boxed in. Like Jesus said, when he was talking to a very spiritual man named Nicodemus, he said, listen, the ways of the kingdom are like the way of the wind. It blows where it lists, and you know not where it comes from. He says that's the way of the Spirit. You can't box God in to only our frame of reverence. Now, he wasn't saying that he, there weren't truths and absolutes. Now, now I'm really off. I'm off. Now I'm way off somewhere. Okay? All right. We'll come back. We'll come back. We'll close. All right. Let's, let's, let's close in prayer. All right? Uh, let's, uh, who knows where I'll end up? All right. So, um, Lord, I want to ask you to just uh, be with us as we prepare to close the service. But I don't, I don't want to uh, just say this is an end point because in reality, it's just a, it's, it's a wrestling with truth. And um, inevitably, we will have these places in our lives where we're struggling to know your will. We're struggling to embrace something by faith. We're, 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 we feel called to live with a degree of hope. And yet at the same time, Lord, we, we're, we're trying to understand the equation. And so, Lord, I just, you know, I pray that we would, instead of, being discouraged, that we would be encouraged. Encouraged to increasingly trust you. Because what we see happening here is that you did swing open that door. And, I, and I'm going to ask you, Lord, there are some of us here, we need you to swing open a door for us. And in the name of Jesus, I pray that it would swing open. And some of us, Lord, we need your hand with us. Like Nehemiah said, I recognize the Lord's hand in this. And Lord, we recognize, even now, as a people, as a church community, we're watching what we believe is your hand moving with us. May you also be with all who are Bring us into places of life. Help us to be trusting in the way you us. So I ask for your blessing over our time of giving, over our closing song, over the service that we've shared. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.